0: Next, we are joined by Yoruba Richin, who directed the new documentary, The Rebellious Life of Mrs. Rosa Parks with Joanna Hamilton. Yoruba will present her film at the Sanctuary for Independent Media on Thursday, November 3rd at 7 p.m. Yoruba, thank you for joining us on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine and congratulations on your film.
1: Thank you so much. It's great to be here.
0: The Rebellious Life of Mrs. Rosa Parks has just started streaming on Peacock. And I had the opportunity to see it. And I personally love the way that you creatively righted the public sort of her story as you do in your filmmaking uh, in this film about Rosa Parks. And I was just wondering if you could start off and tell us just a little bit about the film and uh, uh, about your approach to making this documentary about Rosa Parks.
1: Absolutely. Um, Well, the film came to me uh, because my co-director, Joanna Hamilton, had connected with the writer of the book, The Rebellious Life of Mrs. Rosa Parks, which the film is based on. And she read the book and she also saw uh, the author Jean Theo Harris's tweets on Mrs. Parks' birthday uh, a few years ago, and she was tweeting all these things about all these facts about Rosa Parks that were really, you know, most people didn't know. And Joanna saw that and was like, "Oh my gosh, I didn't know, you know, this information." And um, and then she read the book, and it turned out that. There hadn't been a full-length documentary about Rosa Parks, which is pretty shocking. And so she contacted me and asked if I, you know, told me to read the book. Um, And I read it, and I was also amazed about all of the information that I didn't know about, you know, about this woman whose name, you know, so many of us, you know, know. And she asked if I wanted to work with her on... Uh, making this film. And uh, I immediately said yes, because I love stories that have not been told or that we think we know. And we have new information and new stories to, you know, to tell in the film. Uh, And then we brought the film to Soledad O'Brien Productions. And then, you know, subsequently Peacock uh, bought, you know, bought the film. And in terms of the approach of making the film... First of all, uh we knew that that there was a lot of archive to be found uh that hadn't necessarily been found before that hadn't been or at least widely seen and so that was the first thing that we did is uh bring on an archival producer to help us uh find you know archive footage of of mrs parks and then we also had um and we were so lucky to to have this the uh Library of Congress had recently bought all of uh, Mrs. Park's writings and and letters. And so we had, which hadn't really had not been widely seen. So we knew we wanted to incorporate that somehow. And then as we were making the film, we all, we, you know, we kind of knew this, but sometimes when you're making a film, like you realize something really obvious, like (laughs) in the process of making it, we decided that we wanted Mrs. Park's voice to guide us. Through the film. And that meant that not only would we voice the letters and writings that she had, and we worked with the actress Lisa Gay Hamilton to be Mrs. Park's voice, uh, audio tapes of Rosa Parks at video, the archive that I mentioned before, but it also helped us figure out what we could include and what we couldn't include Uh, and that is because uh, mrs park she was mostly asked about the boycott you know she wasn't asked about the other the other events of her life Um, and so we had to work hard to find her talking about it that was one thing but then if she didn't talk about it, even if she was involved in it, you know, we had to make some choices about, you know, whether to include it or not because we really wanted her to be the, you know, the narrator of her story as much as possible.
0: Very cool. So you not only use the voice of Mrs. Rosa Parks, but you also weave together interviews with activists, academics, her family, and you alluded to this idea that you learned a lot. I, I learned so much about Mrs. Rosa Parks while watching this, but I was wondering from you, what, what sort of most surprised you in digging into her life?
1: There's a lot of things. I guess one of the things that I didn't know is that you know after the boycott, the backlash that she received, uh, the backlash from not only the white community, but the black community. Uh, even though they won the boycott, even though they won this integration on public transportation, that, um, you know, people didn't want to be associated with her. She was kind of a black sheep after. And her life was threatened and she had to leave Montgomery and go to family in Detroit. I mean, I knew she lived her life in the the remainder of her life in Detroit, uh, but I didn't know why she went there. So that was a huge, you know, a huge thing for me because you always think of these you know, freedom fighters, activists, you know, making the stand and then everything being OK, you know, the, them being known and, and famous, but not what the risks are to these people and what the risks are to the work that they do. That was a big one for me. It was also another thing that was interesting, too, is just under coming to understand how this fight for Uh, integration, and for really dignity on public transportation had been a really long-standing thing. You know, people may know the name uh, Claudette Colvin, who, you know, refused to give up her seat, the young woman who refused to give up her seat a few months before Mrs. Parks did, but this battle around on public transportation had been long there are reports from like the early 1900s of black people taking a stand some getting shot, you know having uh, getting thrown off the bus it was a real sight, you know of struggle for for dignity and in the black freedom struggle and I didn't realize that either
0: thanks for sharing that yoruba so you know obviously it is important to tell these stories and to uh, insert and complicate our our history in a more well-rounded way than what we will than what we or what i learned in school but i'm wondering yoruba why is it important to tell the story of rosa parks today
1: we started making the film we knew it was relevant we knew we were telling a story that hadn't been told we knew we were um, it was an important story in this you know age uh, that we are in of uh, renewed activism, even though activism has never has ever stopped a recognition of Black women being at the forefront of these movements. But as we continued to make the film, it just got more and more relevant. And sadly, it was because, you know, more and more of our rights were being threatened from voting rights. And that's what we chose, you know, one of the things we chose to focus on is her long history of not only, you know, registering the challenges uh, she had in registering herself to vote, registering the people of Montgomery to vote, her husband's work in registering to vote and how those are being you know, threatened and in some cases uh really you know almost stripped away because of the the threats right. to, to voting rights. So and the other thing is that Rosa Parks never was satisfied about where we were as a country and where we were in terms of uh, our civil rights and the and the Black freedom struggle. In the 1990s, she was still talking about, um, you know, how Thomas Clarence Thomas was a, a, a threat to what we had uh, already achieved in the Black achieved in the Black community. She was still talking about criminal justice and um and all these all these issues uh reparations was something that was a long standing fight that she was a part of as well only now are we even beginning to really talk about what reparations could be and should be she really had the long view uh and all of the things that she stood for and was fighting for are are relevant to today
0: great And as we start to wrap up your Yoruba, when you come to Troy on Thursday, November 3rd, you're not only screening your film, The Rebellious Life of Mrs. Rosa Parks at 7 p.m. at the Sanctuary for Independent Media, but you are participating in what we call a Be the Media series discussing your social issue filmmaking. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself as a filmmaker and what you've focused on? Well,
1: I do have to say, Elizabeth, we worked at Democracy Now! together. That was part of my training in terms of um, telling these stories that really deserve to be told that were underreported or misreported. While I was at Democracy Now! I was also working on my first documentary, and I had actually come from the documentary world, went into the kind of journalism world at ABC News and then Democracy Now!, and then continue that I always wanted to, you know, make long-form documentary films. And so Social Issue is generally what I do, uh, but I also love to tell stories of, you know, of joy and and entertainment, um, especially at this point in my career. I really like to be challenged artistically. How can I make it artistically interesting and different? And um, I'm very open to the, the subjects, but certainly the the spine of my work and of who I am is around social justice and social issues.
0: Great. Well, Yoruba Richin, thank you for joining us today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, and we look forward to seeing you in Troy later this week.
1: I look forward to being there.